Welcome to Oh Brother, a podcast of three brothers trying to figure it all out with your hosts, Brandon, Colin, and Aaron. On this week's show, Foster Shelter for Couches. Hello. Hello. How are things? Oh boy, they're very tiring. Oh no. It's, <laughs> sure it's that not. like, yeah, let's say uh, like end of school, like slog, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, right. <laughs> blah. Well, like, we're done is. with all our testing and we're still like doing stuff, but the kids are like, like now nah, we're not doing stuff. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So like, <laughs> it's a whole thing. So, you know. It's all right. It's very field days on Friday, and I don't like field days. Oh no! Boring, and it's, <laughs> well, it's also it that time where. Go ahead. Well, it is Revenge of the Fifth, so you know these things do come around and back. It is true. <clears throat> My lame Star Wars joke for missing May the Fourth be with. That's all right. It's allowed. You're allowed. Lame. I tell my kids uh, only bad jokes here in my class because I'll say yeah. random things and those yeah. look at me like, Ugh. like yep. <laughs> only bad jokes here. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know what you were expecting, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How's Aaron? Oh, Aaron's good. It's been a work week, so. Mr. Timberlake himself. Exhausted. Uh, what? Aaron's name is It's Gonna Be be May? It's Gonna oh, Be okay. May. Yeah. <laughs> I missed that at the first time, so I was like, I'm gonna, uh, wait I'm a minute. gonna try to change it once a month, so. I mean, you have been changing it once a month. It's exactly. very humorous, so like, I got <laughs> Do what I can. <laughs> so. I don't even remember how to do that, so like, I'm very impressed that you... <laughs> Well, it, like, it 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 pops up every time because it'll be like, oh, hey, do you want to do this over? Yeah. So my my th- every time I I log on, it um, it'll be like the thing like, hey, do you want to do, uh, uh, you know, call in over Wi-Fi or wireless or whatever? And I was like, oh, you know, it, oh, over Wi-Fi, and then it'll be like, do I change your name? And I'm like, sure. Oh so, yeah. You know. Probably because I just click the link in the email every time. It's like on my laptop. It's like yeah. whatever. I did it once, and it was like yes. And so I don't know how you do this magic of changing your name all the time. Uh, there's, there's somewhere in settings. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I don't ever mess with settings. It's too dangerous to delve that deep. You're right, you end up like a dwarf. Find yeah. some unnamed evil, and then you can't set it back. <laughs> can't set it back to how it was before. <laughs> yeah. So. Right. Then you'll be in like some important meeting, and. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> be the you'll be the cat lawyer at that point being like I'm not a cat it's true <laughs> I promise I'm not a cat like, yes I know yeah, yes oh, obviously yeah. thank you <laughs> whenever uh, <clears throat> this is a very random side topic but talking about menu diving uh, my friend and I used to <laughs> like steal each other's phones and change the languages on the oh no oh my gosh 
<laughs> I had to figure out how. So yeah, I put <laughs> put this phone in like German, right? <laughs> and kind of try to remember how to go back through the video oh, and change no. it off of that again. <laughs> oh, that's no. that's what we used to do. We used to do that to each other's phones all the time, just for. <laughs> Just go in the menu and change language. Blam. <laughs> See how how difficult it was to go back and do it the other way. So we changed into all the exciting languages in there. I imagine now if you did that, it would be much many more languages to choose from, right? We just had like Spanish and French and German, but I bet now it's like very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> you can do all kinds of things but we used to do that <laughs> back in the 90s your phone couldn't do anything else and we had to amuse ourselves for a very long amount of time like <laughs> at a restaurant or something you just like swap like steal somebody's phone and switch it language be like, Most uh-huh. what we could get, right? yeah now watch time watch them get it back like you're like I played this snake game on my phone way, way too much it's literally the only thing I can do. So now I'm going to change my friend's language to Portuguese. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> so it's good. It's also a, a test of like, how good are those little icons they put next to the menu? Right. <laughs> can you really tell what the heck those things mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you know? Can you, can you figure out what that means? Bye. <laughs> Just using the oh man the icons to, to navigate everything. That I that iconography is just insane. I remember. Uh, so I have two anecdotes on that. I don't know if you guys remember, but when in Top Gear, when James May interviewed the lady who came up with all the typography and the uh, um, for the road signs, the road network yeah. for the road signs of like how to make it look. You know, yeah. simplified at X miles an hour that they were gunning for to make sure that you could, it was legible. Uh, and then on the other side of that is I remember listening to a radio broadcast or a, a radio, radio broadcast, uh, a podcast. <laughs> um, about, <laughs> I'm secretly 87. Uh, <laughs> about them coming up with the iconography for. Uh, toxic for um, nuclear waste disposal sites and how they were so concerned of like this waste is going to sit there for thousands of years and we don't know who or what's going to come after us and so how do we label these sites as dangerous without and this is what they're important without piquing their interest and curiosity enough so that they'll continue to dig right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so I've I've actually read about that before too, and that is a fascinating topic, uh, in my opinion. And there's also some good sci-fi to be written there, I think. Uh, so if any any all those people who are better writers than me out there, here's your free uh, sci-fi um, story idea time. Uh, <laughs> like, yes. So the. Have you read about the stuff where they like, well, they think about like designing a landscape that looks like foreboding. Yes. Like decimating the landscape and just making it look like foreboding and bad. And just so like, you don't want Want to be be there. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. I've heard about (laughs) somebody had a crazy idea of like, um, like breeding cats that glow in the presence of radiation so that you just know when you see a glowing cat that like you don't go that place. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> 
Well, and their thought was, their thought was with that was like, let's say a thousand generations down the road, you don't know, you know, you're, the memory of why the cats glow is, may not be there, but you know that when cats glow, it's bad, right? It's and they, bad. They were yes. basing that on some of the research that they were doing of, of um, group behavior where they would, there was one monkey and every time the monkey grabbed something, like everybody was shocked. And so the group learned that when you touch the banana, you get shocked. And even when they removed that original monkey, the group taught it to every other monkey that they introduced. Yeah, to not do it. To not do it. Uh, and so I know they were kind of basing the whole, like, well, what if we just had glowy cats? And if you ignored that, you kind of yes. melted and died, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> yes. Well, the the thing that goes along with that is the other part of, I, think, I don't know if it was connected to that or slightly independent, of, like, creating some sort of, like... This is where your science fiction writers come in handy, right? The um, <clears throat> like some sort of like, yeah, that that group thing, or like some sort of like a, almost modeled on like a religious behavior about that or about that area that it it gets passed down almost folk folklorically, right? In that kind of way, instead of just like like you were talking about, like you don't exactly remember why you're not supposed to do that, but you just know that you're not supposed to do that. Kind of to keep that story going kind of like almost like a an order of monks or something that's like <laughs> it's train, their oral traditions that sort of help yeah they they say like don't go to this nuclear waste site <clears throat> and of course the science fiction story that ends in my brain about that is like in like a you know 1500 years this monastic order is around telling a tale of like why not to go there and somebody's like but what if I did go there? Right. And, and then they, they don't because <clears throat> they don't believe it. Right. They don't believe it anymore. And then they go do yeah. a thing and it like causes all kinds of mayhem. Right. That would be really cool. A like sci-fi story, I think. <clears throat> but the other option is that you like, I think the one in, was it the one in Finland? This is their plan. Uh, they're going to do that. They're going to bury it all on that thing. And then they're going to completely erase any trace that it ever existed on the surface. And leave it alone. And like, forget it. So they're going to bury this thing like deep in the ground and seal it off and then basically erase the trace on the surface and just make it like a forest. Right. I know that. Yeah. So like, that's the plan. I'm like, well, we could leave all these signs and and that's what they're talking about. Like, well, well, that might actually make it more interesting to people. So if we just forget about it and seal it up seal it up hopefully good enough that they don't find it again <laughs> just leave it there yeah but that also has its own dangers because what if they do find it yeah right? and they're just like oh man there's this crazy thing down there we should go open it up and then blam like <laughs> hey well this gets back toxic to, radiation uh, as it, yeah your um your uh your <laughs> Discovery <laughs> Channel show, the island or whatever. Um, oh man, but, yeah, right. See, it's like like somebody tried to bury that and like forget it and like make it so that nobody would find it again. And and now then it's there. And now, now they're still digging around. You know, the season finale was last night again. Oh, it, Holy oh, cow! Really? <laughs> My goodness, that's crazy. They oh. ran. <clears throat> so they they season recap for the curse of oak island ladies and gentlemen for anyone out there who's obsessed as i am about this uh you <laughs> they were digging around in the swamp thing and they just found like a paved stone path and they're like uh what um what 
And so most of the season was archaeologists just like following it and trying to figure out what the heck this thing is. And there's like artifacts in there, like pieces of pottery that are smashed in there and like ox shoes that have been thrown while they were carrying things up and down this little road that they made that was completely buried. And it's not written about in any records that they have found about the island. There's no mention of it. And yet here it is. And it's like, they're all like, uh, uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> what the heck is this? <laughs> so what did they, what, what did they have anything? Was that, was that the year? Was that the, was that the season finale where they found the road or what did they? Uh, no, that was all season. The season finale is they ran, uh, they were, one of the guys was like, Hey, I got this idea. What if, cause they've been drilling all these test wells and stuff. So they have all these wells that go down and, and hit water level. And the guy was like, uh, actually, he's like, I have an idea. I'm going to go down. I'm going to snag some water samples for some of these. And I'm going to test for trace elements and see if anything pops on it that shouldn't be there. Right. Like looking about like, okay, let's pretend there is a treasure down under this thing is precious metals will show up in the water sample, especially corrosive metals like silver and stuff like that. Because they corrode, trace evidence will show up in in the water, hmm. right? So he's like, well, let's just do that. <clears throat> and I was like, that makes a weird amount of sense for this to happen, like, 15 seasons into the show. Why didn't we think about that before? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, <clears throat> they did that. And so on the season finale, they're like, yeah, we got the results back. Uh, and they were showing it, and it's like, copper, zinc, silver. And the amount of silver on this tracing is like enormous. And he's like, um, yeah, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> and one of the guys goes, well, so like if it was treasure, hypothetically, how much silver would, are we talking about to get these amounts? Is it like a handful or like a room full? And he goes, a room full. <gasps> and they all just stare at each other. Like, uh, wh- <laughs> what? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Like, are you, are you joking? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. <laughs> it was very shocking. Like, uh, like, wait, what? <laughs> and then, of course, the conspiratorial mind will start roving and saying, like, that's just the silver. Yeah. If else? there's other treasure with the silver, it won't show up in that analysis. Because things like gold don't corrode. So if it's like, (laughs) there's like other stuff or like Uh, gemstones won't show up in that. Right. So it's like, uh, uh, wait a minute that, uh, hold on. (laughs) What is is that? Yeah. Yeah. There. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. So that they're playing for next time, next uh, season when they come back in like the summer or spring, when they can dig again, uh, is like to run that, to like use, do that some more in some of the wells and then kind of like see where it's concentrated the most huh. and then kind of make that their new target area focus. But that was a thing I was like, wait, you, what? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. It was rather like what in the world? And again, yeah, you're right. This is one of those things like that show is just, it's so tantalizing would be the word. I believe 
Because just like that can't be anything, and then they find like some really random thing. You're like, what? Why is that there? Like, what is that? What? <laughs> what? That has. There's no reason that should exist like that. And so you just get very curious about these things. <laughs> and I can be curious because I'm not the one spending millions of dollars excavating sections of an island in the middle <laughs> of yeah. Nova Scotia. You so that. I don't. Yeah, neither did they until they were. They, they had they amassed a small fortune in a TV series. So that's true. That's true. Well, one of the brothers, him and his business partner, they do. They're like a. They own an oil and gas company. Yeah, yeah. And so, so they like, had all this drilling equipment. You know, yeah. They have drilling experience and extra capital just sitting around. So, like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, but yes, I watched that last yesterday. So funny you should bring that up because I'm just like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> silver in a hole in the ground. Like, what the heck? <laughs> So yes, but uh, again, no iconography on that island. They tried to forget it, and it didn't want you. And somebody found a random thing, and they're like, "Oh, that's curious." So again, that would be a very excellent science fiction story, even if they abandoned it all, right? And then somebody goes down, and then they open the radioactive vault, and then blam, terrible things happen. Or it could be like. It's the, the the only folk memory they have is like that it's a great power, and then somebody like really wants it because they think it's going to be like something they can use, but it's actually just like radiation that murdered killed everyone, right? So, <laughs> oh, that would that would make it even better, right? Of as, that would be cool of you know being used for evil, and so you're trying to race against the clock to prevent them from doing it because you believe in the last of the monastical order of like it's a great power but it's terrible and destroys everything yeah but all they know is it's a great power and they're like well we can't hide a great power we could use it and we could do all this stuff with and then like yeah okay it's actually a bad great power. yeah exactly like boromir style right (laughs) 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 let me tell you this other story (laughs) yeah let me tell you this other story I think that'd be cool. You'd have like the future setting and then there would yeah, that race against a clock of like, you know, oh, they're they shouldn't be hiding this secret power away. We should be using it because they don't actually know what it is, right? They just know it's a power quotes. So <laughs> then all kinds of things happen and then Listeners of the Boom. podcast can look forward to the audio drama of uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We could write an audio. Dra- oh man, this is beautiful. Coming to uh, your listening ears this fall. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, maybe don't, don't put a timeline on it. That's oh, nerve wracking. Uh, don't do <laughs> coming to your ears. Maybe. Who maybe knows? <laughs> that would be a lot of fun no. to put together, though. To try and- that would be kind of fun. Listener submissions uh, <laughs> available for the writing group writing project. Here we go. Oh yeah, Send we all your write ideas. a page, we pass it to somebody else, we just go around a circle and we pick a story, <laughs> and, then we, and then we read it on air. Yes, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> just make a disclaimer. Don't be like Orson Welles. Like, Here follows an exercise in creative writing. <laughs> yeah. And go. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes. I like this plan. Have to draft some something here. Mm-hmm.
what have you been up to this week, Colin? Uh, I have been uh, driving an awful lot. Um, Ew. Yeah. So last week, uh, had a biologist call and had some concerns uh, down in Peck Ranch uh, here in Missouri. And that area is four and a half hours away from where I live. And <laughs> so I worked a full day Monday and then drove down to West Plains uh, to stay the night and then got up early uh, Tuesday, drove the additional hour from West Plains it takes to get into the site. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and then drove around Pack uh, Ranch looking at a bunch of different things. Uh, drove over to Rocky Falls for a little bit to see that place. I don't know if you've seen that. I have never heard of that. I have not. <laughs> I guarantee you, I'm going to send you. Listeners won't get to see this. You have to. Uh, super. Uh, I'm going to. You will like this Let's because bully Colin into posting it on Instagram. Okay, uh-huh. bully Colin. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Uh, you have probably seen Rocky Falls, and Brandon, you will like it because there is. Oh, um, you will like it because there is geology involved. Um, I do love geology. <laughs> a specifically um a massive slug of uh volcanic eruption occurred uh, bl- uh and that bl- basically blocked off uh, across a stream when it erupted and over the time over the years everything else has been eroded except for this big slug of uh volcanic material oh, and yeah. Resulting in a, huge, I, say, I don't think it probably erupted across the stream. I imagine this I mean, stream came later. Well, well, <laughs> but, but yes. So, so rhyolite. So it's 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 all rhyolite. Um, oh, is it really? Yeah, it's rhyolite. Whoa. Uh, so it's actual. Uh, and then yeah, the stream comes over and has eroded everything down around it, but still jutting out through this the falls here, and the falls are rhyolite. Um, Whoa, and they're huge. For the Ozarks, um, that's it's a massive cool. structure, and uh, it's really, really neat uh, to go see in person. I had never seen it before, um, so I had heard about it, and then whenever I saw it, I was like, "I have seen this in a magazine or like on a calendar page before." I don't think um, I have, but this is cool. Yeah, no, it's really cool. It's it's four hours. I love long. Missouri igneous rock, right? It's very exciting. Yeah, yes, because it's very old intrusions right yes. like super old so that's very cool <laughs> so yeah so it's neat to see that and to see how the landscape has shaped around this and left it right because it doesn't erode basically <laughs> you know or it loads well, yeah it's much much slower than the limestone sandstone exactly action around it yeah so it's just really neat. it's really pretty and we were happened to be there on a uh, day where it had tons of water coming down it so it was even uh, yeah it's pretty been a bit loud. rainy yeah and that was oh, the other that thing. makes it look cooler. It does. Wait, yeah. You want to see Rocky Falls? You want to see, you know, the, um, you want to see the falling fall bit, right? Plus, you know, plus, plus, <laughs> I mean, the rock's cool, plus, but yeah. Um, but yeah, no. The problems on the the lands, the uh, place where we were looking at, uh, were pretty unique. Um, the most interesting one that I took a little bit to figure out was there was a massive head cut. Um, so a big ditch was forming right next to this road, and first off. Um, when they built Peck Ranch and started making it be a drivable tour to see the elk that they were introducing, which oh, you can have your own opinions on that. 
anyway, they put these roads um, across the landscape and down basically right along the river. Because in the Ozarks, you either build a road right next to the river or on a ridge top. And when you build uh, yeah. it on, on the river, when you build it next to the river, <laughs> it's you, a little steep in the between in a lot of places. <laughs> it's kind of hard, right? People don't like driving at seventy-eight degree angles, though. Um, I mean, <laughs> weird. Yeah, I know, it's crazy. Uh, so uh, when you put a a road across a, a field or down next to the river, no matter how hard you try, you will be that road will be elevated, uh, effectively creating a small levee across the floodplain of the river. If the next thing that ah, you do, which is where you don't want a levee, exactly. If the next thing that you do then is you go, you know what? We want this to be a drivable tour to see elk, an elk-like field. We don't have a lot uh-huh. of fields out here. We need to get rid Uh-oh. of some of these trees. Uh-oh. Right. Well, mm. flash forward 30 years. <laughs> mm. And <laughs> what has happened is the stream is coming out of this big bend. And this area of the stream, this reach of the stream, just so happens to be a grading, which means it's collecting sediment. There are huge... Yeah. That every, everywhere else that we were on the stream, all the sediment was gravel size or lower, and then oh, yeah. or smaller. Or but at this site, these things were like four times the size of my head were being dropped out at this place. Which means that Whoa. that's all this energy just goes blop. And, yeah, and as, stops. In that as it drops thing. out, that raises the stream bed and raises the surrounding area, which pools yeah. up the water. And normally during normal floods or normal flows, it's not that bad. You get a little bit of water there. It backs up the water until it finds the next low point, And then it busts out. Cuts it out, yeah. And goes across this field. Now, that would be fine if you had a healthy riparian corridor and no levee. But Uh you have no riparian corridor. So the water picks up speed, slams into the levee, and then runs dead parallel to the levee. And and eats has the over- road away at the same time, eating a road away at the side, and now you have this big, massive ditch that's being split open, just like a zipper undoing right alongside the levee, the road, because that's where all of the energy is focused. And yeah. the problem is, is that the the stream is going to be a grading. That's the behavior of the stream. We cannot address that. However, if we just try and stop the head cut with what, with what we do is put a rock chute in there so that it kind of self-adjusts and dissipates the energy, that doesn't affect any of the other, the entire side of the head cut, yeah, issues, that is the yeah. field, right? Because mm-hmm. the energy is just going to be directed to one of those. So you would just be doing nonstop head cut stopping all the way along <laughs> this. Um, and it's caused some other problems with a, because with a, the problem is when you get a head cut, it doesn't just it it lowers the bed elevation and then it sends all of that sediment and gravel downstream. Well, what's directly yeah. downstream of this is a crossing, and so it's getting a oh. lot of it's getting a lot <laughs> of stuck. gravel accumulating on this, which backs up water. Which you know you get this continuous cycle of of it trying to adjust, and now <clears> the road <throat> is like collapsing on one side and it's eating at a telephone yes. pole and exposing buried wire and cable through this area. Oh, hooray! So, <laughs> yeah, we were we were talking about that yesterday in science, where the exact worst place to build a levee is in the floodplain. Like you, yeah. <laughs> I know, it's the floodplain's job to flood. Yeah, and they, it's in the name, right? Scientists name things like this for a reason, right. so you know what it is, right? <laughs> and this road was built through this entire area to get oh, access Lord. to see this, and it is just. 
the stream can't adjust and this it's they need to, all, they need to elevate the road like those swampy louisiana roads right where they're all just like up if, if higher had more money yes <laughs> <laughs> but so we as soon as we got on site because they'd sent some walking photos tours and it. some on-site photos but i hadn't we could i couldn't tell anything what was going on because you don't get the subtle height differences in the photo. Oh yeah, from right. an aerial photo, especially <laughs> right of like. And I'm looking at topos, but even topos don't show you exactly. Like, yeah. Okay, like there is a height difference, but it, it's having a lot more impact here than we originally anticipated. And so, got on site, saw what was going on, and was like, "Look, like, oh no, we <laughs> we can't just plug this. We can't just re-slope the the road because that's not going to make the problem go away." We can't, you know, someone was like, well, what if we, what if we put a levee further up where the water's coming out of the river and block it there? And it was like, it's just going to find the next lowest point upstream of that, right? And so <laughs> you're, you're not going to make this river stop doing this. Um, it's no. going to, it's going to come out here. And so then we start getting into the difficult questions and, of, and conversations of, okay, um, we need trees back in here. Because that's why this is unzipping. And we need to have uh, much more forested, much a lot more roughness on here than just this grass and clover for the elk as food plot. Um, which is hard because they want it open so you can see elk. It's also hard because, as I mentioned, there's a telephone pole here. And there's one thing about electric companies and power line companies that they, they're mortal enemies with. Or trees, trees within within yes. thirty feet of their telephone poles, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Like, don't even look at our telephone pole. <laughs> so now, Cut you right down. So then, you know, so so basically, we were like, look, we, we're going to write up our recommendations up to a point, but we have to bring in more people uh, on this discussion because this is now active area management, wildlife management, design and development people. We need to bring them on in now. Like if it was just a head cut moving through a field, I'd tell you to throw the rock shoot in there and be done with it. But because now we're having to take into account inventory and other management considerations for the property, it gets really hairy, really fast. Um, so it was pretty to see, uh, and it will probably entail a few more trips down there, which is fine. Uh, but it was just like, <laughs> like, Oh, this is a big hairy mess. Wonderful. <laughs> And sounds then, exciting. Yeah. So then, yeah. So, and then I got back. I was, I was up at seven yesterday on, uh, yeah, that was Tuesday. And I didn't get back home in my house until eight o'clock last night. And then, <laughs> and then tomorrow we're driving back down to Springfield, uh, to go do a few more site visits there. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Man. Lots, lots driving. <clears throat> All right. But it's all good. It's all good. It was fun. It was fun. It's really pretty to see. I love that area. I love being next to the, you know, by the current and uh, all that, all that place down there. So it was beautiful, but long day. It was a long day. I want to know now. I'm curious uh, for to tangentially relate to this. What are the thoughts on Missouri elk? Well, they're a thing. Um, oh yeah, but you said you were very. Uh, you seem very uh, not enthusiastic about elk in Missouri. Oh, oh no, no. Uh, I am. I am all for um, bra- 
This is Colin speaking, not speaking for anybody with an armor conspiracy. <laughs> Good disclaimer. No, bring on the elk, bring on the black bear, bring on the pumas. Um, I have a hard time with then trying to create a driving tour for the elk. Okay, got you. That's okay. the part no. that, that I makes sense. Because at that point, why not just tether one out and make a petting zoo? <laughs> Right, like oh I mean, yeah, you, what do you like doing? uh, what is that exotic animal paradise or that exactly. weird place? Yeah, yes. there you go. Right, because what what are you even doing? Like, and while in in the, the crazy thing is, and this is the this is the part that just blew me away. We were down there at nine a.m. on a Tuesday at Peck Ranch, and I probably about fourteen cars drove through. And each time really? they'd stop and ask us, where are the elk today? Okay, have you seen the elk? I'm being very loud. They're not here. <laughs> very ex- Well, not right now. They're not calling right now. It's not quite right <laughs> season. But they're, people are so excited to have elk, to see elk, and to try and have access to them. But it just it, 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 it rubs me the wrong way that we're turning them into a spectacle. Of like here, go. You can drive here, stay in your car, and drive around these trails to see elk. Right? That just I don't like that. I don't like I mean, that's the way true. that cross. And but I understand why they did it because it's raising awareness. It's getting people access to them. It's showcasing the work that they're doing and helping uh, people have a bit more connection and understanding of what's going on. And I tourism just, dollars. It's tourism, right? And it's but yeah. you know, the, the the department does. You go down there; it's free access, right? You don't have to pay to get into the park. Well, yeah, but like that. but right, the areas benefit from that to have the elk, and uh, it just it's a. It, I think of like how up in Yellowstone, it's a little different. Like the driving tour is going from place to place, and you just happen to see bison everywhere. Um, That's true. Right, it's yeah. laying on the road. Right. If, if Yellowstone pitched themselves as a driving bison tour, like it just changes Unfair. changes the whole feeling of and purpose of what's going on. So what you're saying is more elk. That way, you won't need a driving tour because exactly. it'll just be in your front yard. More elk, absolutely. It's true. Um, well, because I know, I know this. It's. I don't want Aaron's thoughts on this too as a outdoors enthusiast, right? Like uh it it in Missouri, weirdly, and it's weird to think about this, but it is a historic elk range. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So like if you think about they should be here because they were here and now are gone. So the sort of there is an ecological niche that is not being filled in some way, right? And that's not great for the whole thing, you know, for the the health of the ecosystem at large, even though Missouri does not look the same as when there were elk here uh, before. But, like, they're supposed to be. So, like, is it a good thing to bring them back? That's my question. Right. I want to what do you think, Aaron? Um, so uh, hunting elk is is you now if, if you're looking at it purely just for like an 
you know, the industry aspect. Uh, elk is like a, you know, considered big game. It's a very, you know, prized kind of hunt. And so, you know, definitely bringing that tourist dollars for it. I mean, I don't, I, I, I mean, I kind of depends. Like I, it, it's super cool. And I was actually, I enrolled myself all of my friend in an elk hunt in here in Oklahoma. Um, they do like a lottery system where they draw yeah. and you get, you get drawn, you get to have an opportunity to, uh, you know, take a, a buddy and you and go hunt. And it's like, it's, it's very restricted. Um, and, but it, it's, it's a, a unique way to bring in kind of that extra bucks. No, no pun intended. With hunted with like with hunting. And so like, I, I see it. Um, I, I need, you know, need to look at as far as, um, you know, environmental impact study kind of ordeal. But I, I can definitely see it kind of being a bonus. You know, it's something that Missouri hasn't had in a while as far as, you know, definitely as far as like a hunting season goes for elk. Um, and so I, I think something like that is very cool and very unique because um, not that many states have an elk season of some sort so i think for us or you know for for missourians to be able to get that opportunity um you know and, and bring back that population you know environmentally is, is something fascinating and, and unique that's not not a lot of states have so i i think it's cool but again i haven't i haven't done any impact studies or anything like that. So I, I don't know as far as, you know, what they would have effect on, but if, if, if you want something that's, you know, cool, then yeah, an elk is definitely, you know, that, that outlook, I guess. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And they was- are like, they're very striking. Like when you see one, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Cause I can like, remember the first time I saw one, I was like, Holy cow, what is that monstrous thing? Right. Like, yeah. And I will say that the department gets a ton of criticism for the elk reintroduction uh, as being a money grab, right? Of like, well, now they can charge for something or now they can do this or like now, now Hmm. with the new bear season, right? The exact same thing of, of the only reason you want them here is you can make money on this. And so I, I, yeah, but they didn't put the bears there. They they just showed up again. The bears literally just showed up. (laughs) Unless you believe the conspiracy theories that we were bringing them in from Colorado and secretly releasing them, um, but it's yeah, like that sounds like more work. Um, a lot. Right? <laughs> they're just they're just here now, and so so I am I'm I come at this from from a from conservation. So again, this gets at the the eternal debate between um, conservation and preservation. Um, uh, yes, but, you know uh, uh, Leopold and um, um, uh, name is escaping me right now. Um. Oh gosh, what's his name? Oh, this is gonna. Uh, he wrote. Oh no. Oh, all I want to say low. Is that right? Um, <laughs> for some no. reason that comes. No, out. John Muir. Uh, Muir. Oh yes. So you know, Muir buddy. was definitely uh more of a of a preservationist, and Leopold was a conservationist. Of, uh, I come at it and I go, look, they were here. If there's a way for us to have them back in a reasonable way. Why not? Um, because there are filling a niche. And if you look at the places in Missouri for where you could reintroduce elk, 
the Ozarks are kind of the best place to do <laughs> to do it. No, I mean that's true, again, right? Where population densities of humans are insanely low, like like shockingly low, and yeah, where where it actually still is relatively like where it what how it used to be, right? I mean, obviously with some yeah. massive caveats here, but well, yeah, but the, all the agriculture, it, right? Ag- yeah, <clears throat> agriculture is big. Um, there are, but but there are also huge swaths of contiguous forest it's and, like nothing yeah and nothing it's, right and absolutely nothing and tons of protected areas if you look at maps of state federal and natural areas and conservation areas and whatever like most of it is in <laughs> the, the ozarks and in southwest missouri right so it's, <laughs> it's yeah, yeah that's true i go yeah like it, it if we can if we can demonstrate that we can um they can be self-sustaining, right? I don't. I would never want to be in a situation where we find ourselves in a lot of like trout parks, where you go, ah, uh, yeah, trouts can't survive. You know, trout can't survive here, um, but we're continuing to release them for sport, right? Like I have, yeah, a, that, yeah, yeah, again, things that rub me the wrong way. Um, but if like if we can have a self-sustaining population that's healthy, that's doing well, and that is kept uh, ecologically sound, that should be done. That that is. That is a good use of our time and our resources. Yeah, the I guess the follow-up question to that is is a lot. You hear a, a lot of people arguing about like, um, just this is just conservationally in general, right? About like, uh, you know, we should put it back to how it was. You know what I mean? They right. they kind of say that they argue of like, oh, we need to re established the way that it used to be. But um, the question becomes like, wh- when to, to are you win. talking about? Yeah. Because yeah. ecologically, uh, that matters a lot. <laughs> right? Like, uh, when in time are you speaking? Right? right. Like, because there are, there are big uh, differences, you know, and there are things that have been gone for very long amounts of time in certain areas that, uh, you know, their their impact is still being their absence is still being felt. You know, uh, and there are things that have been gone in short time, and then that that's a different kind of thing. So, when are you talking about? Well, yeah, you know, yeah, this, this gets at the whole uh, Jurassic Park question, right? Of like, it should <clears throat> do we go that far? Like, do we do we try and bring back, uh, you know, the giant sloth? So that we can have more Osage orange across the landscape. I mean, like what? Obviously, yes. That's <laughs> obviously, what. No. We need <laughs> well, I mean, this. That this is. I'm leading you to a megaphonic question, actually, uh, because you know when we, when we we've talked jokingly before about like the the hippos in Colombia, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's kind of funny that they exist there, and it's weird, and it's strange. But like at a certain point in the past. There were large megafauna, like llama things, in the river there. Yeah, and that that thing has been gone for so long, and the hippo is like doing that job on accident now. Kind of, it's meaner, and it wants to like eat your face off if you get close to it. But like, it's doing that same job. (laughs) So there's arguments for both sides of like, we got to get these hippos out of here because they're weird invasive species and they shouldn't be in Colombia. And on the other side, there's the well, actually, hold on. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that, that gets at the heart of, um, I had, 
instructor um, who totally argued that that as long as a niche was being filled, it it didn't matter what was filling what, what it was. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. No, she just totally flat out like the niche is being filled, which means the ecosystem service and the ecosystem web is more complete than if it wasn't there. So regardless of whether it is a quote unquote invasive and even that term, right? Invasive, mm-hmm. exotic, um, whatever you throw at that, like each one of those means different things. So we well, have yes. to keep that in mind. Too. But like whether it was introduced, that's, that's another one. It's an introduced species versus an exotic versus an invasive. Like, so invasive typically means it's, it's uh, detrimental. So whether it's an introduced species or not, or a native species, as long as it's, fair. As long as it's performing the same kind of service. So yeah, if you look at, you know, I think many people might argue, okay, right. So the elk weren't there, but we have a very healthy population of white-tailed deer. So why would we need, <laughs> you know, and like they're both cervids. Um, they're both somewhat doing the same thing. Why would we need to introduce them? Well, the population of white-tailed deer doesn't need to be as large as it is. That's just too big, right? Too big. They so. need a competition in there. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, I, I do fall more in line with the thinking that that if you have a function that is being left open, if there's a way to fulfill it, but this this obviously gets at those problems of like you don't want to be just introducing species to introduce them because you think it's going to fill a niche because we know historically how that goes. Oh yes. The cane toad, right? Cane toad, <laughs> kudzu, um, uh, uh, the um, uh, anything that got introduced into New Zealand, anything, right? Like oh, it. My my brain, I'm very tired. But the um, oh, what like, is it? They they introduced it as an uh, alternative for beaver nutria. Um, oh yeah, oh right. gosh, yeah, down in, down in every ways, right? Yeah. And up in like yeah. Washington, odd, oddly, um, they're yeah. there too. So, uh, <laughs> like. Just look across the globe, you'll see examples of this, of something was introduced just for one particular purpose, and it's gone totally haywire. So And, like, blew apart, yeah, because those things are crazy. Right. So that's why, when I look at this the elk reintroduction program going, well, they were here at some point. The ecosystem that we are introducing them to, while it is modified, um, it, it still can support a healthy population. So, so, again, we're not restoring. It would be different if we were trying to restore the landscape so that we could then put elk on it. Like that's a, that's a totally different. Yes. What, what we are doing is we are, we are conserving what's there on the landscape, protecting the landscape to keep it healthy because we know it can support these things on it. Like that's a little bit different. Um, thinking about what's going on versus, Oh, it's a moonscape. We've got to craft mountains and plant trees so that we can then put elk on it. Like that's uh, no thing. Yeah. Uh, is there any concern about the elk modifying the landscape to f- suit them better? Is that an issue that people are worried about? Because uh, certain certain large animals, they have an effect on things and they change it, right? And it, again, it could be such that it's going back to a more, quote, natural state that it would have looked like when the elk were there and their absence has changed the environment in some way and it will sort of revert perhaps in their presence. Mm-hmm. Is that a thing in Missouri woodland or is that a very, only a special uh, circumstance? Not that I know. I don't think there are any real concerns of them 
fact changing. Granted, we are still at extremely low population densities of them right now. True. So that any effects like that are going to take time. But then again, I think the thought would be if they're changing the landscape into such a way that they are able to persist in a more balanced manner for the population, then, then that's a good cycle for them to be in. Um, okay. I guess the problem would come in is if you start, if they start modifying it based off of their grazing habits, based off their migration pat- patterns, based off of, you know, what trees they're running against and they're, you know, destroying saplings of certain years or whatever. If that starts preventing other species, but again, the thought going, well, we're not, this it's not, they're not new on the landscape. They've just been absent for a while. So they have been in proximity and they've been in the ecosystem web of all of the current animals out on the landscape at one point. So this shouldn't be too much of a jolt to the system. True. Sweet. Okay. So I said all of that to ask you this question. Okay. Both of you. Are you ready for this? No. <laughs> and I want your thoughts. Uh because <laughs> it's it's a little bit uh intense. Have uh, you mentioned Jurassic Park and you were not far off of uh what I was reading about this week and a little bit of last week. Uh have you heard about Pleistocene Park by any chance? No. No. <laughs> no. Well, it will not it will not surprise you uh at where it is located. Uh yeah, that's right. It's in Russia. Um that's <laughs> It's in Siberia. Uh this dude, he's like a biologist guy or whatever. Uh he he is a uh, yes. He is his goal here is to reintroduce megafauna to the 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 Siberian Arctic in order to make it um, more in order to like sort of modify the landscape and change how like refreeze permafrost in areas because his theory is that the animal presence will actually increase the amount of permafrost and keep the Arctic frozen because of the animal behavior in the landscape. Right, so he started with like reindeer and moose that were like indigenous to Russia, and he sort of he has all this land randomly in the middle of Siberia. I'm not entirely sure how he got it, but uh, <laughs> don't ask. So he started that, and then he started to slowly bring in other large species like muskox and like weird Arctic horse things, and uh, he got some bison in there, and they yeah. just roam around. In this, like, literally, like, Pleistocene-esque, like, <laughs> tundra, like an Ice Age kind of thing happening. And what the thing that he has found so far is that, like, because they're out there, like, tramping around and, like, smashing down all the snow to eat it, the grass and the lichen and stuff, that permafrost is actually refreezing at much higher levels in the winter. Because there is no snow to insulate the ground. So because the snow acts as such a heavy insulation, it's actually, the even though it gets like stupid cold in Siberia, the permafrost is not refreezing at the historic depths that it should be. And, you know, they're always worried about like the carbon trapped in the permafrost and all that stuff. 
And so he was like, well, what if we just put animals back on it? Is that because it, it's like empty and nothing? Yeah. Is that because so the thinking there, the <laughs> landscape that they were on was like open prairies and grasslands. And over time, yeah. with the loss of large uh, megafauna, it's been slowly converted to more forested areas. Yes. Yes. And huh. the trees trap a lot more heat. And there are big trees in the way. So he like goes around and knocks trees down in his little area. Sure. Uh, and like, then the once they're down, these big animals sort of keep them gone because they trample areas and they graze them eat the shoots and stuff yeah and then like he's found that the permafrost in the areas where he's doing this is refreezing like way more than in other areas and it's this really like bizarre <laughs> like i i was reading about it it was like mildly fascinated like he's doing what wait and this is another one of like weird long lasting experiments that could literally only happen in Russia, Russia, right? There's no place else in the world that would be like, yeah, I'm going to do this and then just do it for like well, 25 years. <laughs> like, yeah. It has that space to do it basically uh, too. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> huh. So that's, it's this rather fascinating like thing where he, he like just, this is his thing that he's doing. And it's like <laughs> rewilding the tundra to fight like, you know, this, permafrost thaw with giant animals back in the in the arctic yeah it's very weird but also kind of like crazy and interesting at the same time like well again that gets to the um that gets that's the when part of my question from earlier right like when is it like (laughs) exactly because then the whole the whole point of that is going well um can the existing climate like it uh, my mm, things like that where I go okay uh, if you were saying that it, you have there's a global impact on what's happening in that area right like it's globally yeah how much of an impact do you feel treating it locally is going to do well, true. Um, and and do you see your local impact um, having sustained longevity for the next thirty years, given the global predictions for it to not? Um, well, true. So that, you got to start where, somewhere with proof of concept, right? On the small right. scale, you, you know. have to start somewhere. And and if you're trying to protect, because I mean, yeah, then people go, well, why do you try to conserve any areas if you're worried about global impact? Yeah. I, I mean that's true, <laughs> but but in this that's case, not the point. <laughs> with the explicit, with the expressed, an explicit intention of like reversing the impacts. Um, yeah, no, I think it it is it is uh interesting um, because uh, climate uh the, the glowing glowing terms right now are um, climate resiliency in not just infrastructure, but in our conservation and management efforts. So um, when we put in stream-based stabilization projects, um, climate resiliency is something that they talk about. They go, okay, well, it can handle the floods of today, but given the models and projections, can it handle the floods 10 years from now? 
uh, because once the project goes in, you know, we want it to stay there. Uh, so it, it's a little interesting to think about that project and go, well, this is kind of trying to almost reverse climate the climate concerns and make it more resilient um, and not just yes. try and buffer against but- the changes that are happening or expected to happen. Yeah, it's kind of wild. It's just so like out there that I was like, "What? What? This is wildly fascinating." <laughs> I must know what they think. Aaron, what do you think about uh, bringing giant animals to the Arctic? Well, whenever I think of stuff like that, I always think of like uh, people doing like the studies of trying to bring back like the mammoth or or like things like that. Exactly. So that. that that's that is my, that is also one of his stated goals. Yeah, is he so that, wants a mammoth or or quote cold adapted elephant, right? Yes. Because it wouldn't be an actual mammoth. It wouldn't be like a real life mammoth. Let's be yeah, real. Yeah. It would be like some sort of weird genetically modified elephant uh, yeah. to fill the niche, the giant megafauna niche in his park. Like that's yeah okay. That's yeah. that's one of his stated goals that so he thinks that, would be that, awesome. That's that's the that's my first thought when I whenever I was thinking like oh. Ooh, do this um i mean it, yeah it is kind of one of those situations where well if i if, if i reintroduce this into this area you know how is that you know you know it's going to affect the environment in some way but what if that gets you know unable to manage or if something happens or what if they escape and start repopulating in another area What's or like oh god oh no i'll let finish uh, it's a, it's a, like that that you know concept of you know, if if it gets out then this happens or like oh you know it, it ruins science for everybody if you know if this fails or like, oh you that woolly mammoth that you can't keep track of is you know escaping and you know creating a whole new subspecies because it's you know adapting and breeding in this way and blah blah blah, blah. so it's it's very you know. It's definitely bizarre and wild that he's taken amongst him, you know, upon himself to I'm going to do this and just kind of go with it. So I I'm intrigued because you don't really see things like this happen too often or any you know at all. So, <laughs> yes, at all. That's the- I, yeah. So so to me, it's it's unique. I definitely kind of want to see like you know read more about it to kind of see the actual like impact that it's having on like one particular area. And you know, if it's possible to even bring back, you know, other kind of things, it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, what what is that going to do? Not just for this, but for you know, other areas. Like, well, if this can work in, you know, Russia, you know, like, oh, what if we're going to try this in, you know, this country or in this area? So I, I'm I'm interested to see the the actual outcome of it. I'll add on top of that, um, you know, with the comparisons to the elk reintroduction, the thought being, well, we also now have black bear and puma, uh, both which will prey on elk um, to some extent. uh, Reintroducing these large populations in these areas, how, again, self-sustaining, self-correcting are they going to be, are you going to have to come in and actively be hunting these, right? To control the populations. Do you know how much the landscape can or should support 
um, for them and what is the appropriate population density to get the desired effects. Um, I think there's just a lot tied into that um, than just, well, I want the, they, they're not there, so um, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> True. <clears throat> Yeah, and he has. I read something where he was talking about like if they did that, then then like if the because right now the populations of all those herds are still quite small. I think so. Like, but he has stated, I think, in an interview that like his his next goal uh, after they reach a certain point would be to try to introduce some sort of predators into the mix because they do need a balance. Otherwise, they will just sort of go insane and like yeah yeah like 70 billion bison you're like uh oh that's not what i want (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) i don't know what predators they would be in that area right yeah no if like i mean knowing him he'd be like uh i'm gonna have to make a smilodon clearly that's what (laughs) you Yeah, if you're bringing back cold adapted elephants, his next line is, "Well, if we could have some cold adapted lions, I think that'd be." Good. I mean, obviously, right? That's what you want, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> think of the driving tours, Colin. How many? <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't help that. But yeah, I just I was reading about that like the other week, and I was like, that is fascinating, and yet like the weirdest plan. <laughs> Hey, what? No, no. Again, that's one of those like categories, like only in Russia. Yeah, is that somebody's idea of like, well, what about if I just put a whole bunch of bison in this field, and they'll be like, (laughs) what? But it's sort of like it makes sense, but also you're like, but what? How did you? What? Why? (laughs) That's one of those. It's my one of my new fascinations at the moment is just reading about that guy and his like this weird idea about the Pleistocene Park. And then of course, like Aaron was talking about, having seen Jurassic Park, I do have like trepidations about that. Like, oh no. If he does get a mammoth, what what happens? (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Or his Arctic lion, right? Oh no. What did that escape? Like, I know it's very large up there, and it'll have to go quite far to find anything else to get into. But like, <laughs> second sci-fi inspiration uh, for the day. Here we go. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's just what we need. <laughs> they find so. So uh, 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 almost oh, these can be separate about- stories. They don't have to be the same. No, no, we're bringing them together. We're tying them. We're tying them. Oh, they bring them together. Oh, the cold adapted lion travels to Finland and <laughs> tells Finland to attack the uh, last of the monastic monks uh, designed to. <laughs> what if the glow in the dark radioactive cat is a cold adapted lion? Yes, exactly, exactly. Okay. <laughs> yes, and they just happen to bring them in from that. And they. And then, <laughs> and then, <laughs> I love it. I think it's great. Fantastic. That's good. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, you know, no, I really did want to share my uh, okay. just with that with you because I thought that was just the craziest idea ever. Of like, yeah. okay, well, we're gonna do that. So I wanted some. I wanted to. Uh, I wanted some, uh, somebody else to hear this and <laughs> see their thoughts. I wanted. I'm not crazy and thinking that has been around for a while, but I've just heard about this. So oh no, do what? It's like it's not crazy. Yeah, it that is, I think this is crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. It is because it is crazy. Yeah. No, totally is. Totally is. But again, uh, you, got, you got to try and do something. So, oh, yeah. It's true. So, why not mammoths? That's why. <laughs> uh, do you have any plans for the weekend, Aaron? Um, well. Are you, you going to be on call all weekend? No, that's next week. Um, okay. We're going to go spend time with Shelly's mom for uh, Mother's Day. Um, we're going to go go to Tulsa. There's some festival or something down there. Then we're going to oh, nice. um, do some other things Saturday or Sunday, um, to which those are, I do not know. But we will be... Um, Surprise Sunday. Yeah. So we'll, we'll do that. And and so that, that's kind of all that we got going on. I got, I got to get through the week first. Um, true. Yeah, I'm. It's almost done, but yeah, that's kind of kind of about it. We're gonna go down to Tulsa, do a festival, do some festivaly things, um, and then just gonna see what happens. That means festival food, though. So this could be exciting. It could be. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't know, like what it's called, like May May Fest May Festival. Um, but I don't know, like what very creative what name it is or what it does. Um, it's like downtown Tulsa area. So, okay, you need to let us know if you uh do the Maypole thing. Okay, we need to know about that. We do. Uh, <laughs> over under. I'll, I'll, I'll see. I'll see what they got. All right. Yes, over under. Right. <laughs> did you guys do that in your fourth grade program too? Right? Oh, we did. Yes. You know that we did. <laughs> that we did. Yes, I remember that. I remember my friend's ribbon broke, and he just sort of like wandered around the thing with holding the ribbon. It's like it's very, it's very depressing looking maple. <laughs> Miming the motions. Yeah, yeah. It's like with this like weird limp ribbon in his hand. Like, oh no. <laughs> uh. <clears throat> I should probably ask Aaron for advice because I have to go to Branson on Saturday. Uh, because it is finally, uh, allegedly, now, if we get to go to Branson on Saturday, it's new couch time. <gasps> Our couches. Oh, is it? It's, oh. it's not going well. Uh, oh. <laughs> it's, it's on its last leg, preferably. <laughs> so, like... It's all, it makes all kinds of exciting breaking noises, like my side, like Susan's side. You can't recline it anymore. So like once it's opened, you just have to sort of leave it there and work your life around the fact that the little foot thing is up. And there, because if you put it down, whoa. it will never come up again. <laughs> now, Aaron, as a former and the, owner, uh, sorry, go ahead, Brandon. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, on my, on my end, uh, the, the springs underneath have collapsed so thoroughly that you just sort of, like, sink into the couch and, like, oh. can't get out. So it's very, <laughs> it's terribly uncomfortable. Uh, it's, <laughs> Giving you a big hug. Yeah, or something. 
Now, Aaron, as a former yes, continue, owner Colin. of at least 14 couches at one point at the yeah. same time, what recommendations, I believe, what do you look for in a good couch? Yeah, I believe it was a coastline of couches, if I remember correctly. It, it, That's it, what I... Indeed. <laughs> well, I, I never bought any of my couches, so I have no actual input. <laughs> just, I've never, yes, but you own so many. I need to know like what makes a good couch. That's oh, what I it, it kind of, at one point, it kind of looked like that I was um, like a foster shelter for couches. <laughs> <laughs> So, title. <laughs> yes. the, the only advice I can give is make sure it fits to the door. Make sure you don't live on the second floor. And uh, make sure I do not. Friend that has a truck. Because, um, yeah, I had to move that sucker without one. So, oh, yeah. that, that, no, would, that would just be my advice. And <laughs> stay and neuter them so that they don't, you know, <laughs> they don't multiply, right? Exactly. So, that's, I mean, that, that's kind of what, jeez. <laughs> I, like I said, I, I never bought mine uh, so well, the, the truck isn't going to be a problem because susan's sister owns a furniture store so that yeah. it will come to us but like <laughs> as long as it, as long as it fit, fits through the door i mean you should be there pretty go. pretty fine um yeah <laughs> mine well we were, we're already looking at new couches i know for this one because the couch that we got or that inherited uh from my friend and his wife, um, it is, you know, it, it, it's older, um, now, and it's it's time to put it out to pasture pretty soon. So that's true. We we bought this couch when we got married. Yeah, that's why you need to. So that is, that, is, that is all you need about the couch. It's a, it's a long couch life, right there. <laughs> it's Just uh, put it put it out on the what is it? Uh, put it out on the uh, the corner. And put put a sign that says "free hat" on it, and someone will take it off your hands, so you don't have to have to move it or donate it. You know, whatever you. Want uh, to it's do. not donatable. Uh, the one that we currently have, it's almost a. Uh, our city does that like citywide cleanup day. Yeah. Oh yeah. So like, every section of the city like has a couple days where if you set something out in front of your house, the city will come and pick it up and take it's it away. Years. Yeah. Ah, okay. It disappears forever, and that's our day is coming up very soon. <laughs> and our, our couch is going outside. That just where that's going. Fair enough. So they have the they had the citywide. They do it in two parts. They have the citywide garage sale thing, where it's like they basically just say, "Hey, if you're going to have a garage sale, do it this weekend." And people come from like all around, really? and then like the whole city is having a garage sale. It's kind of weird. I don't ever really like attend. I already have too many things, so I don't need to go buy other people's things. But like, <laughs> it's a it's a deal. People do that, and then uh, yeah, it, conveniently after that they have citywide cleanup day. <laughs> you can like, get rid of everything else. Uh-huh, I see, and they just have it sectioned off to where you they just you they come by to take it. Uh, so like, <laughs> very odd. But yeah, that's coming soon, and that's where a couch is going to have to go because it's not sellable in its current state. It's too dilapidated. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we're do that, and then we're going to go Saturday, I guess, and uh, attempt to procure a new couch. So it's going to be very interesting times because <laughs> I don't do well with shopping, especially for <laughs> like large furniture pieces. So yeah. it's going to be. It'll be weird. Best of luck. Godspeed. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
I can say. I'm not <laughs> My back says we need it real bad, though. So, like, well, right. <laughs> like it's, it's going to be a good thing, but it's not going to be a fun thing. Yeah, because I don't want to drive. I don't really want to drive all the way to Branson to do this, but because it is the her sister's store, like, yeah, so, it's good. Yeah, kind of just needs that. It's very nice. So, yeah, but yes, that's what we're doing. It's going to be a couch adventure on Saturday, <laughs> which is exactly what I want to do the day after field day. Oh no. <laughs> And <laughs> blah. Colin, about you? Anything exciting coming up? No, no. That we can look thank- forward to talking about next week. Yeah. <laughs> thankfully, not thankfully. I don't know. Uh, I don't have. I don't have anything uh, coming up really. Um, oh, oh! I, a big news announced today um, by the governor. Um, is all oh, no. state employees must be back to work at their original offices starting May 17th. No exceptions. Uh oh. Oh no. And goodbye, he, kitchen counter. <laughs> goodbye, kitchen counter. Goodbye, uh, my office. Goodbye, uh, every place that I worked. Um, and apparently, he didn't talk with any of the state agencies about this oh he just announced that sounds it. exactly like something he would do just announced it it was basically like yep moron. make it work and for those of you um, not looking at your calendars or knowing when we're recording um it's in a week uh basically oh yeah <laughs> today is the fifth is yeah, the fifth of may awesome. if you did not catch colin's terrible joke at the beginning yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a it's fine um so what there are tons of people who are really angry because a year ago every single state agency invested literally millions of dollars in um creating their in, in taking their their entire workforce remote and it was uh they basically had all these dashboards of watching who was able to work from home what kind of work they were doing and productivity and they were able to get it back up to about quote unquote 90% of what it was in the office um, with everybody working with most of the state working remote. Uh, and so now all that infrastructure that they had built up just get, you know, tossed aside <laughs> effectively. Uh, because and that's the weird part. Like you, a lot of them don't, you don't need to be in the office. No, like it's not, not going to benefit them. They're not going to work better. No, matter of fact, they're probably going to right? work. So like all of a sudden decreeing magically, like again, the government of Missouri currently not paying any attention to what people actually want. No. Uh, it's a farce. If you like, oh, we voted on this, and the governor and the senators go, <laughs> we're not doing that. Like, right. what? Wait, but they, mm-hmm. what? that's not how. This Listen. <laughs> Let me talk to you. Civics 101. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, that's not your job. Uh, that's yeah. we. <laughs> and I'm just thinking of like all of the parents who had a summer planned. Uh, to be home with their kid uh and now well, yeah within a week that's very soon too have to find something for their kids to do or uh you know do, find other arrangements for their kids to get taken care of so i thought that was really cruddy and 
uh, basically, you know, effect, when, especially whenever he just flat out prevented and said no hybrid plan allowed. And yeah, but if he just said that, does that actually mean anything? Is there anything behind it, or is it just him being an idiot? We're not fans of the governor of Missouri here on this podcast. I, I uh, mean, at least I'm not. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what, what, how this was presented, but our, our agency basically was like, yep, we aren't allowed to make hybrid uh, situation. Because my thinking was I was going to be working with my uh, supervisor to turn my position into a, I'll work from the office, you know, three days a week and I'll work from home the other or something like that, right? Something reasonable. Well, yeah. Right. But they That's they're, reasonable. They're just flat out cuz it's like obviously we can do it. We're all doing it for the past year. There's no Yeah. Though, no. yeah, that's um, the weird part that there is no reason. And I think uh, there's going to be a lot of pushback from other places too, like companies in general cuz like a lot of their employees going to be like I don't have to go to work right no. like, i can do literally everything here like and people have been just as productive probably more productive in some instances just like hanging out and doing their work and it's like let's in some situations i imagine it's much less stressful every, right it's every single happier study, environment every single study that you see on this shows um people who work from home um all have a report having a higher quality of of, of life um, having less stress and um, are actually either just as productive or a little bit more. And the thing is that is too of uh, uh, it, you know, I think what I feel frustrated by is the fact that even, even my supervisor was talking about how kind of in the middle of all this, she was like, I'm not working eight hour days anymore and I'm still getting the same amount of work done. And I'm like, yeah, because the amount of time wasted at the office was a, large. a lot, right? Yeah. You can't, nobody, nobody, I don't care how dedicated a worker you are, can sit down at 7 a.m. and literally work, like, like focus work on writing, on reading, on running programs, on data analysis, on all that, and, and then clock out <laughs> at 4 and go home. That's not, that's not how people work. Nobody does. Oh yeah, no. no. And uh, that that mentality about how you have to do that is a weird holdover from like the industrial revolution when you were going to a factory, right, and working right. those shifts, right. And the eight hour workday was like the concession of like the unions going, we cannot work fifteen hours. What the heck are you doing? You have to do right, like yeah. it's. <laughs> So the, this like magical thing that like where people seem to think that office jobs are like you just sit at a desk and work nonstop for eight hours. It's like that's the most unreasonable thing I've ever heard. <laughs> like, no. well, are you, are you are you listening to yourself? Like, I know. no, it's not. No, I mean the number of times where I would take my lunch hour and actually just like nap and then wake up feel like amazingly refreshed and do more work in the afternoon and. Not necessarily, you know, sure, I didn't clock out at three, which is when I was supposed to. I'd work until four, but I would, but that's because I didn't work an hour because for right, but now I'm still putting in the quote unquote eight hours. They were just broken up throughout the day. And 
I got well, and that's the other thing that's really nice about working from home is you don't have to do them all contiguously. Yes. Right? You work for a few hours, you can go out, you can run some errands, you can take care of your business, you can go to the bank, you can go to the utilities office, it's never open. You can like you can you can do all these things. You can come back in a couple hours and you can work yeah. some more. You can, you know, maybe you work two or three more hours. You you take another break. You eat some supper. You do your thing. After supper, you work for another hour and a half and you're done. All right. You can break it up in such a way that it's it's a lot less stressful. You can be more productive because you have time to reset your your brain a little bit. Instead of like slogging through a straight line of hours yeah. uh, to do a thing. And I, I just feel like, you know, it's not necessary to do that. Like, yeah. especially in a lot of jobs that are like, oh, I'm running data analysis. You don't, you don't need to sit down and run data analysis for eight straight hours. You're not good. It literally doesn't matter. No. No. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I'm not, I'm not obviously complaining to here, but I'm just more, more lamenting about the fact of like, this was such an opportunity to genuinely make positive influence on the workforce and leave options open for people who it would work for. Cause it doesn't work for everybody, right? There are people who work from home. Well, no, but work, it works right? for some people, but, but to completely take that off the table and, and take away that from people who had probably the best quality of life they had ever had in their working career, finally. Um, and just say, Nope, can't have that anymore. It's like, I, you're, you're, yeah, it's really, very short sighted, really short sighted, really short. Because honestly, I feel like if you could take some of these positions and turn them into hybrid, you'd have a much, much higher retention rate for employees that you could have that you all of a sudden that becomes a market oh, yeah. employee to bring people on and go, yeah, you get to be a staff biologist for the Department of Conservation and work from home part time. Well, yeah, yeah. Right? that's great. And you're, you know, you yeah, it kind of decreases like the burnout thing of where you have to do that. You can, <clears throat> you can probably downsize your office expenditures, right? Yeah. You don't need a so so that's what the, things. That's what the state of Oklahoma is is pretty much doing because you know, especially with DHS, we have such a high turnover rate. A lot of people looked at you know the first phases of COVID and they're like, what can we do to number one save money? And then someone's like, let's sell offices, and they're like, okay, hold on to that. Um, <laughs> and then they're like, okay, well, you know, talking with people, you know, being able to work from home, being able to, you know, you know, only sometimes, you know, only working four days a week or doing this, and so. They they took a lot of what they learned from the initial part of you know doing every, like teleworking, doing everything online, and they realized okay, well that we can actually use that to bring people in more. And and, and I need to look at the numbers somewhere, but someone was telling me like yeah, we actually gained more people, and we we're actually able to get more positions to bring more people on. Because it's more appealing, like, oh, I can work, you know, for the state of Oklahoma and work from home and only work maybe either five or four days a week. And, yeah, they're shutting down some offices, but they're able to kind of cut those costs and, you know, worry about, you know, financially marketing 
the state and bringing yeah, more people yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, it, by, yeah by doing yeah. that. Yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting thought that you can downsize offices but increase staff. Right, that's like the best thing to do with your money. Right, like you don't need this building or as many of them. And I can hire more people to do the job. That way we have more coverage and you can have better time. And also, that's a great idea. So like, <clears throat> this kind of goes back a little bit to the, what we were talking about with the ecology thing. Like in some instances, like when do you want to go back to like, maybe not that far <laughs> in this case, right? Like this, this is an instance where maybe it's not a good idea to go back and, you know, <clears throat> that that mindset of like oh everything was better back in the day right because mm-hmm. you know the governor's like a thousand year old dude apparently so like he's got that mindset of old man who's like everything was better in my day right the that so he wants it to be back <laughs> like it, you know the we want it like it was like well yeah well well you see <laughs> some things are actually better this way so like I, I don't know if we want to do that like it's fine yeah so it'll be it'll be an interesting uh, transition back obviously uh, and we'll see see how it goes I'm still kind of holding holding out hope that the department will lay out some try and carve out a niche uh, in, in rules of their own, uh, yeah. But because I mean, if he just says do this, like, I mean, as far as I'm aware, that that in and of itself doesn't actually mean anything, right? I think you have to have something to back it up, right? You have to like have a decree or something. Like, you can't just be like, do this. And they do right. it. I don't. I don't know how yeah. that works. I'm trying to find the exact uh, language. But the, the the state of Missouri is also busy passing just like the most useless junk, instead of like focusing on things that are helpful. <laughs> They're all just like, man, we should abolish daylight savings time, which is an indication of like how they're all like seventy year old men. Like nobody cares. Stop. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Also, how idiotic are you? Your two largest cities in the entire state directly border the next state. And you want to abolish daylight savings time and make those people's jobs who like traverse the state boundary 75 times a day. You want to make their life like the worst thing ever, man. You idiot. <laughs> like what? Is- <laughs> They're so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of forward to the coming time. So we'll uh, no kid. keep posting uh, on how that goes. <laughs> yeah, I didn't hear that. So that's interesting. Yeah. Not surprising from that dummy, but we'll see. One day we'll get you to tell us how you really feel. And I think you'll. Yeah, no it. worries, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day I'll open it up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, really stop. <laughs> Stop holding it in. I don't think. Uh, yeah, I'll stop holding it in. Really, speak your mind. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, maybe someday. Well, we'll uh, <laughs> jump off that before we go off the political deep end. So uh, we'll. <laughs> I always try to be nice. I'm not. It's just there. It's just ridiculous. I agree. <laughs> oh, I know. I agree. So 
Uh, and on that, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll button it up. All right. Okay. Love you guys. Love you too. Bye. <laughs> Bye.